listening to Range Minded from Independence Indoor Shooting. This is episode 115, where we talk about our own AR-15 builds. Everything from the stock all the way forward to the muzzle device. And we talk about why we decided to build our ARs the way we did, because it's us. We have multiple ARs. Thanks for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoy episode 115 of Range Minded, the thought process behind our AR builds. Hello and welcome to Range Minded from Independence Indoor Shooting. I, my name is Mark Long, and uh, the uh, cycling noises you hear are coming yeah, from. You, <laughs> you could, could you hear that? It's, yeah, it's uh, it's Steve in the bunker from uh, Eastern Idaho. The Eastern, uh, yeah, the uh, undisclosed location in Eastern Idaho. And uh, yeah, if I if I didn't know any better, the Eastern Front. That's uh, an AR that was cycling. That may have been an AR cycling, correct? May or may now not. there was no no chambered, no ammunition chambered, right? Whenever, whenever I play with guns in the house, I hide the ammunition to keep from stupid things from happening. Yes, that's an important safety Sometimes. tip: is keep all the ammunition uh, separate from uh, your firearms if you're dry firing or anything like that. Definitely something to keep in mind. Please, please. So. Uh, but yeah, we're talking. Hear, I hear something on that end too. Yeah, I got I got something going on a little bit too. We're talking about ARs today, actually. Well, actually, all kinds of rifles. We don't have to we don't have to keep it to just ARs. But um, considering that the AR platform is the most um, popular rifle in the U.S., that's where we figured we'd start. But yes. um, we're talking about rifle. Um, rifle setups and why you know because people talk about oh well, i have this or i don't have this or this that and the other and um kind of got me thinking that we haven't really talked about rifles all that much and we haven't talked about what we have what our setups are and and why we have them that way or you know hypothetically speaking that is yeah, yeah. i mean if i did have one extra how would it be set up is that what you're saying exactly if if i had any ars at all that's this is how i would set them up I wish I had one more. Well, that's actually, so we were just talking about this before we started was that people own usually multiple ARs. You know, I've got a couple, you've got a couple, at least in the safe that you're closest to. So it seems, it seems at least with the AR platform, um, in my experience and talking to a lot of other customers as well, like, you know, selling stuff behind the counter, that the first AR seems like it takes them a little while to get, and they're extremely excited once they get it, and uh, and they can't wait. But pretty soon, that one AR needs a companion, and then another, and then another. <laughs> uh, so it's, it, and it's so easy. It's, I mean, we've talked about how easy it is to build ARs in other episodes, and they're just a fun gun. Yeah, I mean, it's and that's the thing is, it's the AR platform is so modular. You can use you know, there's so many different use cases. You can put, make one in, in so many different calibers, um, you know, different barrel lengths, different optics, different everything. I mean, it's basically, you know, if, if you've been in the gun world enough, you hear it's Legos for adults and it really, it really is Legos for adults. Yes, it is. Um, so uh, just a little, well, honestly, not even that much more expensive anymore. Have you seen the cost <laughs> of some of those Lego sets? Yeah. I mean, what's the, the, the big one is the millennium Falcon and it's like from star Wars. And I think it's like four, $400 maybe. Uh, yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some that are more expensive than that. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm sure you could probably build it a cheap AR or buy a cheap AR for 
the amount of the 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 Legos catches sometimes. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, at the, at the time of we're recording this, because you know maybe somewhere down the road somebody throws on this sure. episode and listens in twenty yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a slight shortage of AR and AR accoutrement. Oh, I thought you were going to say and, there's uh, a shortage dude, of dude, Legos. <laughs> Well, there is a shortage of some Legos too, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of tough right now to build, uh, uh, to build an AR or any kind of semi-automatic rifle on that platform or similar for a reasonable price. Like it used to be, used to be, used to be really affordable. Um, but supply and demand kicks in and, and it's been really tough to find, uh, good parts. Uh, at a good price anymore. Well, yeah, as of sucks, uh, but July 2020, we're in we're in strange times right now, you know. So um, it's hard to find a lot of things. I was just at the shop the other day, and ammo was basically twice as expensive, even for me, than what I was used to used to paying. So yeah. Um, and the local gun store here just last last week, um, my sister in law was looking for some nine millimeter, and I sent her all over. Idaho Falls, and she finally stopped at the other the the, the range here in Idaho Falls, and and today you know we're only it's rationally figured by the end of this week. This was last week, so the end of this week, uh, uh, they would be out for maybe six months of nine millimeter, which sucks. They were out for six months. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, that they figured they had enough to last till the end of this week, and then they'd be out for maybe six months. Six months? You can't. You can't. They're not going to have nine millimeter for six months. That's that's what he was saying, and so uh, she actually. Well, my, so it was my sister in law, so my wife, her sister, and then my oldest daughter. They they were out shopping, and they went down there, and uh, so he ended up selling them. I guess that'd be three hundred rounds because there was three of them there. So sure, <laughs> but. So he was very kind to her. Anybody else, they'd only get, uh, like I said, rationed out to a hundred rounds. Um, but yeah, six months is what they figured on there. Uh, just because the the huge amount of demand now from distribution is just crazy. Well, and you know, six months from now is going to include an election. <laughs> Oddly enough, so that might be a year. <laughs> Oh, and yeah, who knows what the election will bring? It, it it could be never again, too. Yeah, it's who knows, man. So that's that's kind of freaky that you, it's it's that bad over there. Um, you know, I actually I was just at the shop a couple of days ago too, because um, I went and shot the, the the new Glock, and that was great, and I really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah. they they still had the ammo out, like you know, on the shelves or whatever, like on the pallets or whatever, but. We're so short on ammo right now that they don't even have it on pallets. They have it behind the counter. That's so frustrating. Isn't that, and it's not like our fault, you know? It's just it's the supply and demand like we've talked about. Yeah, and it, it is super frustrating when customers start, you know, have an attitude about it. Like, they think that we're playing some game with them. Or price gouging or something <laughs> like that, yeah. there There is no game. That's just what it is yeah and, uh, if, if you want ammo and you want to pay for it i'm sure you can find it online you're going to pay like two or three times as much as what you usually would but and, and probably wait several weeks to get it yeah so it's really up to you but um well and even the reloaders even reloaders like you think well uh, well there was a lot of guys well i reload so i'll never have to worry about it well okay 
powders. There's a huge backup on powder and and projectiles, and so it's it's uh, it's hitting everywhere. It's not just hitting the the pre manufactured ammunition, but but everything. Yeah, it's tough it's going. Hit. Tough going's all around. So super annoying. Um, but anyway, um, you know it's it's. That's why we're talking about handgun rounds because we're talking about rifles and ARs today. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so some of them come in. Uh, some of them come in handgun you, cartridges. You can build an AR out of nine millimeter, a nine millimeter caliber AR, and I think that's how we got on the subject. Is that this? Um, you know, the AR platform is so versatile. You can build it in so many calibers. You can basically build it however you want. Um, you know, and there are still some parts out there. And it's interesting that you talk about how an AR is usually not somebody's first gun. Um, you know, I usually think it's a handgun, um, you know, but once once you get one, then you kind of, especially if you put it together as opposed to buying one fully complete, um, yeah. you really kind of realize like, oh, like, okay, I understand how all these, how all these components fit together. I can... I can build another one and then build another one. And I don't have this kind of AR and blah, 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 blah. And that's how you end up with like three or four. And I think that's why, why it takes so long for new gun owners to get to the AR platform is there's this stigma, this negative stigma that, Oh, it's going to recoil and it's going to hurt. I was trying to get my mother-in-law to shoot on the 4th of July. We went shooting nice. and I was trying to get my mother-in-law to shoot an AR and she didn't even shoot a gun at all, but she, First thing, she, well, it'll break my shoulder. It'll knock me on my butt. Oh, and I'm my like, gosh. I know it, it won't. Just come shoot it. And she would not touch it. Like, she was adamant that she would not shoot. Did she, and, see, uh, did she watch you shoot it or watch somebody else shoot it? She watched my uh, eight-year-old daughter shoot it. <laughs> and she still didn't want to shoot it after that? Nope. She had no desire. Man. I mean. And so, I, I, think that's, I think that's why it takes so long for the AR to become into a lot of a lot of folks arsenal i guess if you will is they're scared about it and then once they have one and that's why they have you know oh now i gotta get a pistol or maybe i need to get a 20 inch barrel or i maybe need to get a a different caliber or maybe i wanted to realize maybe i wanted to get into short barrel rifles or i want to get into silencers or long range or and once they understand the platform and how nice it is to shoot because it's a pleasant rifle to shoot it, it just it's downhill from there if you will yeah yeah because i mean so we're gonna cover everything kind of like you know from the front to the back and we've done this before in another episode but i we, i don't know if we got very personal about it about what we actually have um sure. you know what our preferences are if we were actually to you know to own any of these rifles for that matter hypothetically right and um you know and just kind of go from there um you know talk about different upgrades but there is a reason why people own more than one AR um, because they're so versatile and you can, um, you know, a truck gun isn't going to be the same thing as a deer hunting rifle. You know no, what I mean? That, but they could both be ARs. Absolutely not. Right. Right. So um, I figured we could probably start at the beginning uh, with the basics about um, barrel length, because that's kind of the most important thing to get into um, in terms yeah, of legality. Just, yeah. And I also think there's a lot of misconception with barrel length, too. Not just with the, the legal side of things, but, uh, you know, we'll probably get into muzzle velocity and, you know. Oh, sure. Whatever, yeah. Feet per second and, and accuracy at distance. I think there's a misconception that uh, my my 10 and a half inch uh, AR pistol is going to be far less accurate than my 18 inch AR. Um, and that weirdly isn't the case. And we'll talk about more about that later, I'm sure. But 
Why don't you start um, start start off telling us, um, you know, just for the just so we're kind of all on the same page about what what the legal you know definition is between an AR pistol and an AR fifteen rifle. Okay, so uh, according to the ATF, um, a rifle is anything sixteen inches or longer. The barrel um, length. You can, the yeah yeah that's the barrel length now barrel length would be measured from the muzzle device to the chamber so we're if if we're imagining an AR15 if that bolt's locked home we're going to be measuring from the the muzzle device to where the the face of that bolt uh is so there's your barrel length um now uh like I said 16 inches is what the ATF says so now we can have a 14 and a half inch barrel but we have to have a muzzle device that is permanently attached. So if you imagine a flash hider, or, uh, maybe you have a suppressor or something, that has to be permanently attached to the barrel to make it a oh, 16-inch overall. Yeah, and by permanently um, attached, you mean like welded. Yeah, usually it's welded. Um, and, I mean, there's guys that try and skirt the system. They'll put a set screw in there and then put a dab a you know a spot weld over top of it do whatever you want that's your court case not mine but i would <laughs> highly recommend not doing that uh it's not worth your prison time just to have you know inch and a half less on your barrel length that seems a little silly to me yeah well and then you can get into it why don't you get into it a little bit more about you know barrel length um and muzzle velocity because um you know one of the big things is a lot of people talk about you know short and we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit i guess on this but you know short barreled AR pistols where they're less than 16 inches. I mean, you can mm-hmm. go down. I think the, sh- the shortest one I ever had was a seven and a half inch AR pistol um, in five, five, six. And it really depends on the caliber or whatever, but um, you know, the shorter the barrel, the, the less velocity um, you're going to have in that round going out of the barrel. But um, depending on your use case, it, it might be a negligible difference. Correct. So um, now you can go back and listen to our, we talk about pistol bills and stuff. You can go back and listen to that episode. I'll touch on it super quick if, if you don't. Um, so the SBR, short-barreled rifles, you can go through the ATF. You can fill out some paperwork, and you can have anything shorter than 16 inches in in a rifle length, or a, yeah, a rifle. Or you can go a pistol build, which there's some things. Go back and listen to that episode. We just don't have time to talk about everything in this episode. Right, right. Um, now talk about velocities. Uh, so if we go a 20 inch barrel, um, like a, a, an A2 or whatever, AR-15, you're going to be getting 3000 feet ish per second, depending on the, the cartridge that you're shooting. Let's just say for the sake of the argument, 3000 feet per second. Um, once you start dropping that length, um, if you think about how firearms work right as a controlled explosion and you're launching a projectile down this tube so the longer it stays in the tube the more it's going to collect that energy from the exposure explosion and the more more velocity you're going to get okay does that make sense yeah okay now as that projectile goes down the barrel it passes a gas port now the distance between your gas port and the muzzle um you're going to have something that referred to as dwell time. So that distance is what cycles your gun. So um, now when you think about we're shortening the length of that barrel, we're going to have to shorten the dwell time between the gas port and the end of the muzzle, which is going to change this, the cycling of your rifle. So 
some manufacturers will make those ports bigger, but then you're letting more gas through and you're going to cycle harder. So some ARs are going to have a greater recoil if they're in a pistol length or, or short barrel length. Some are going to maybe have more trouble cycling. You're going to maybe have some more failures that are induced. So there's a lot of stuff going on there too. Now, as far as um, projectile speed from your 20 inch down to let's just say 10 and a half inch. Cause a lot of folks are building 10 and a half inch AR pistols. Um, sure. you're going to probably, you're probably going to see, uh, four to 500 feet per second loss between the 20 inch and the 10 inch. And obviously, you know, if we get 16 inch or 14 and a half, those are all going to change a little bit, but that, that seems, and it is pretty significant. I mean, 400 feet per second, 500 feet per second. That's a pretty significant drop of energy. So yeah, that's the other thing you got to consider. So now <laughs> it seems really confusing. You think a distance that's going to really, really drastically affect your accuracy. Um, but it really doesn't that much, which is odd. I think uh, it really just affects the, the effective range of, of your AR, right? Yeah, I mean, you can. Uh, Paul Harrell's got a great video on this. If you know, we talked about YouTube channels uh, quite a few episodes ago. Um, Paul Harrell goes through this in depth, actually, and he goes up to I think three hundred yards with his ten and a half inch pistol, and the, the groups really aren't that different from his ten and a half to his twenty, which I thought was really intriguing. Now you're going to have because you're going slower, you're going to have um, more envir- environmental impacts as far as wind or you know, Drop pressure, air like pressure. That. And yeah. So the longer you're in the air, the more effect you're going to have by the environment. So you have to compensate, but accuracy as far as just grouping really isn't much different. It's, it's, it's odd. You'd think it'd be, you think there'd be a huge difference, but it's really not. Yeah. I mean it. And for what most people I think are using ARs for, which, you know, I'm going to venture to say is home defense, target practice and all that kind of stuff. It's really not going to make that much of a difference. Um, You know, if you look at it from a home defense perspective, you know, if you have, let's say you go, you said 10 and a half inch compared to 16 inch. So that's five and a half inches of, of barrel length. Mm-hmm. you know, versus five, six, seven, 800 feet per second difference. If you're, you know, defending your home and, and discharging rounds at maybe, you know, seven to 10 yards with an AR, would you rather have yeah. the maneuverability of a, of a gun that's, you know, five, six inches shorter, or would you rather have something, have, have the, the velocity of the round go through faster, you know? Yeah. So, so my house AR is a 10 and a half inch barrel. I'm not really concerned about, that 400 feet difference <laughs> because I have a 25 foot hallway <laughs> and, and the bad guy isn't going to notice a difference right. if, if I have to use it. I hope I hope have to ever use it, but uh, they're not going to feel the difference. No. Um, and so for me, it's, it's maneuverability, uh, tight quarter stuff. Um, you can imagine carrying a broomstick or a chopstick through a house. One's going to be a lot easier to move around than the other. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Now, I mean, obviously, when you're going for like long distance shooting or hunting, um, you know, or maybe some kind of long distance competition or something like that, you know, all of which are appreciable uses for an AR, you know, then right. you might, you know, you might be considering some different, just just like the difference between a, you know, a competition Glock and a concealed carry Glock, you know, you, you know, you, you look for different things, different barrel lengths, different, you know, triggers um, in each, you know. Right. Now- so... 
now for the for just for go back to that argument real quick about velocities. That is specifically five five six. If we jump to different calibers like blackout three hundred blackout or you know four fifty eight or it, those that that changes everything. You know, and I don't have a lot of experience on those other platforms. I know that like three hundred blackout. I had one for about fifty or hundred rounds, and then I traded it. <laughs> uh, it uh, you know. It's so much heavier and slower that you're going to have a lot different results in barrel lengths and, and distance. So um, you'll have to do some of your own calculations if you're curious about your Creed more or whatever, you know, your 243 in an AR platform. Yeah. They're all going to be different. Yeah. I mean, 5.56, five, I think, is going to be the most popular round for a caliber choice for ARs. Um, but yeah, 300 blackout. I mean, that's why a lot of people, if they have a 300 blackout, you'll see it in a shorter barrel or you'll see it with a silencer or something like that. Cause it's going to have different characteristics. Same thing with, um, you know, AR nines, as you could call them is that, you know, the, the barrel length is going to be different. Um, and it's going to affect the velocity of that, of that round differently. So, um, and honestly, the functions different in, in the PCC, the pistol caliber carbines than they are, yeah. uh, and a gas and pinch they are there. It just runs differently. Yeah. Well, and your use case is going to be different too, for that matter. So, um, but, uh, one thing, you know, we'll say, and you touched on it at the beginning a little bit is that, um, if you do have, um, an AR pistol that's shorter, you know, the barrel is shorter than 16 inches, you have to have a pistol brace on it or, um, nothing at all. You can't have a stock on it or else, um, you're going to get a visit from the ATF. Yeah. And, and it's not like they're watching everybody, but chances are you're going to be posting something on your social media. Something's going to happen. And, and they, they may or may not find out. I mean, that's just something you're going to have to do on your own. I would highly not, you know, recommend not doing that just because I enjoy my firearms and enjoy my rights. I'm not going to risk it doing something stupid. It right. just doesn't make sense to me. Well, and, and that's one thing I'll say too, is that, um, you know, one thing that was kind of interesting to me, I learned a couple of years ago is that, you know, putting a pistol brace on your, your AR pistol is one thing, but you cannot modify that pistol brace at all because, um, you know, no. let's say you have a pistol brace and there, you like, I'm, I have one right here. It's, you know, like the shockwave. Um, it's just a, a molded yeah. piece of plastic. That's a great, you know, pistol brace or whatever. Um, you know, and the ATF has, it's kind of gone back and forth, but has mainly come out and said that you can shoulder, um, your, your pistol braced AR, um, you know, as long as it's not the primary use or whatever. Um, but it's not very comfortable to have that, you know, hard plastic against your collarbone and your shoulder and your clavicle and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you may think, okay, well I'll put like a pad there or whatever that actually constitutes, um, you know, improper use and you can get in trouble for that. So yeah, you, um, you've just sure modified it into a stock at that point. Yeah. So you want to make sure you're very, very careful about, um, you know, any kind of modifications or just don't even bother modifying a pistol brace. You put it on there and, and that's about it, you know? Right. So, um, but I mean, there are great options for, for both pistol braces and stocks, um, on either side of them. Um, you know, I, for me, Magpul can't go wrong with, um, you know, their, their bare bones, um, I can't remember the acronym at the moment, um, but I have a, a CTR stock on mine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's adjustable and it's got a, a lock on, um, so it kind of locks into place. It's not going to move one way or another. Um, their UBR is really, really cool. Um, you know, but it's also $200. So, um, you can spend as much as you want on. Yeah. The, I like a lot of bag pull stuff. Um, you know, Bravo, Bravo company USA makes some really cool grips that I kind of like a little bit better. They're a little bit different geometry. If you're going the, the pistol route that, uh, 
they just they feel a little bit nicer but you know i have a lot of magpul stuff on some of my other guns too and i have nothing really bad to say about it yeah, I would say the the price point and the quality really do intersect at a really sweet spot. So it's hard to say no yeah. to any of that stuff. And you know, they make a lot of. It's not just for AR parts. I mean, they make Glock magazines. They make shotgun components. I mean, they, they just all sorts of stuff too. So yeah, if anybody from Magpul's listening, we'll uh, we'll take a sponsorship, no problem. <laughs> I do have one complaint. I bought a Magpul button up shirt that I really really like, and the snaps broke on it, and they wouldn't return it. That's my only complaint. Oh, man. I love that shirt, dang it. You got to get somebody on the horn about that then. No, I, I do need to. So, um, but yeah, you can't go wrong with those. B5 makes a good stock as well. Um, SP Tactical is, is pretty big for uh, pistol braces. Um, yeah. If I had an extra 150 bucks to spend, I'd probably get one of those. But um, the Shockwave Blade works just fine for me um, on a mm-hmm. pistol. Um Maxim Defense makes some really, really cool stuff, which is basically, you know, very similar to the, in fact, I think they built the, the SB, whatever. It's the same thing as the Maxim, what they have on. Oh yeah. On yeah. It's just a little bit smaller, I think. SBR, which is pretty freaking cool. Works out of Boise. They make some pretty cool braces and, and collapsible stocks now that, that I think are cool. I, I like Odin work stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Odin so works there's, good stuff. there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, so moving forward, um, you know, for me, um, uh, wow, I can't think of the name right now. Um, tubes, buffer tubes, castle nuts. Oh yeah. Uh, buffers, um, buffer, you know, springs, all that kind of stuff for me, you know, you can really get into the deep into the weeds with that kind of stuff. But as long as the gun cycles, I don't really care what's in it. So buffers and buffer tubes, and and springs they get really confusing to me so i can never remember the right combination excuse me for a lot of stuff so i usually talk to jeff or cody or, or dakota like sure <laughs> like hey, hey i got a problem what's going on <laughs> and you'd think i'd retain that information because I've, I've had to talk to him more than once but i just like shooting i forget stuff i just here fix it Give it to them. They fix it. And then I go shoot again. Yeah. I want to shoot it again, but we could let's, let's, I'll spend a couple of minutes here talking and you can correct me if I'm wrong um, about kind of what the buffer tube and the spring and, and, and the actual buffer all are. But um, you know, when the, when you, sh- when you fire the gun, the, the bolt comes back, you know, because of the gas, um, you know, being fed off in, you know, you're talking about that dwell time, the gas comes back fed through the bolt carrier group and through the gas port. And that drives the bolt carrier group back, which forces the buffer and the buff, you know, the buffer back, which can compresses the spring into the buffer tube. Correct. And then the compression of that spring plus the weight of the buffer, um, you know, which is basically mm-hmm. just a big weight, um, is going to determine how fast that spring is going to be compressed and also how fast that, that spring is going to decompress and load a new round into the chamber um, with the bolt carrier group being pushed back uh, from the spring compression. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's where buffer weight and, and spring tension, I guess would be the right word, come into play. And honestly, even, you know, there's a lot of really cool bolt carrier groups out there now that are lightweight, titanium or whatever, and that can influence the speed of which, you know, that, that bolt cycles. All that has to, to work together correctly to make sure that you're feeding, ejecting and feeding 
you know, each cartridge. And so yeah, sometimes, sometimes there's real fine balance. You might build something really cool that you're excited about and you know, you're, you screwed something up. Yeah. Luckily. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say you could, you could build an awesome AR with a, you know, maybe. And like I said, I, I don't know the, the, the details too much or whatever, but you could have, you know, too heavy of a buffer and too light of a, of a, a bolt carrier group and it may not actually cycle that well, or, you know, you may have more, uh, more malfunctions than something, um, you know, that's, that's set up properly. So make sure you kind of do your research if you're going to, um, you know, do something super light or, um, you know, and, and then again with suppressors too, um, because yeah. the, the feedback of the gas is going to affect all that kind of stuff. Um, Correct. you know, my thing is always, if it works and it doesn't jam, then I'm cool with it. <laughs> And, and to make it more confusing, and I, I think we've talked about this before too, is you can get adjustable gas blocks, you can get adjustable bolt carry groups. And now like Odin, for example, we talked about them a second ago, they may now make a, uh, a buffer that you can pull apart and change the weights. And so you can fine tune everything to get exactly what you want, but it can also be really confusing if, if you're, you know, pretty new to it and you're trying to dial something in and, you go the wrong direction then you forgot how you had it set up in the first place so uh always be friends with a gunsmith because <laughs> sometimes they come in handy yeah but well, there's a lot a lot of stuff you can do holy cow ton of well stuff. and i was going to say there's a lot of money that you can dump into it too because you know buffers aren't cheap buffer springs aren't necessarily cheap bull carrier groups are sure not cheap um especially if you get into the the unique compounds or whatever that um some people use to make them um you know, the bull carrier group for me is kind of the same deal. It's like, I don't need to get fancy with it as long as it cycles and as long as it works and doesn't get too fouled up, I'm cool with it. Yeah. And, and for the most part, there's just two types of bolt carrier groups. There's the standard and then the M16 bolt carrier group, the, or full auto, whatever. Anyway, it, I think it's the M16 group. That's just carved out a little bit differently to accept the third pin. It's like what the cool kids run, if, you know, if you're building an AR. Sure. Um, just in case you come across the lower, I guess, and the time and the money to put together an automatic. Not I, the worst thing to have so, sitting around, I guess. I suppose not. You know, Surefire, a couple years ago, they came out with a, a bolt carry group that has an etern- internal buffer system inside of it. And I've been really curious to see how that functions. But it's like $300, I think, 400 bucks. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, but that's it, the other thing is that you get into it's it. It's pretty cool, though. Yeah, I mean, you get into it, and it's it's a lot of money. You can spend a lot of money, um, you yep. know, with with fooling around with the with the particulars of an AR. I guess you could call it, um, especially if you get into the uh, titanium nitride, the silver, or I'm sorry, those are the gold ones. So you can get a you know a gold bolt carrier group. You can look as Gucci as you want. Um, there's the I think what's the silver uh, plated with nickel boron. Nickel boron. Um, which are they are absolutely awesome to clean oh yeah and that's and that's what you're getting too besides looks is you're getting um basically adherence of gunk as to put it scientifically um yeah it just wipes right off on yeah it's a lot easier to clean um but they are you know significantly more expensive so um moving down though um or actually we we forgot one part uh the charging handle Uh oh Oh, yeah oh man um that's one thing that i I'm always going to spend extra money on is um, an ambidextrous charging handle because to be able to charge, you know, to charge the firearm from either side, I think is 
a smart thing no matter what, or to be able to at least use either hand, whatever situation you're in, um, especially in the beginning, um, I think is smart. Well, if you, if, if you, and I highly recommend it, plan on taking any kind of a AR class, um, they're going to go through left and right hand shooting. And you're going to start to realize that it's nice to have ambi charging handles and anti selector switches, a way to, to drop your mags. Like I'm not a huge fan of the bad lever um, for, you know, dropping that bolt carry group, but I mean, it works. It, and so it, you learn things when you take a class and it's, it's worth um, making those changes on your rifle. Cause you, you see, you see it in action. You realize, Oh man, that's going to suck if I have to use this. And for some reason, my dominant hand goes down. See, you know, it's interesting because I was, I actually was going to say, I guess, moving down to the, to the fire control group and, um, all of the controls, I actually don't have any ambidextrous controls on any of my ARs. Well, you should. Well, and here, but here's why I don't is because, um, I want to be able to pick up. It's just like with a Glock. I want to be able to pick up any AR if, if need be, and maybe call me a little crazy, but I want to be able to pick up anybody else's AR and compete with it. Um, and be able to know exactly where the safety lever is, you know, and not, you know, hit it with the wrong hand. Like, oh, I'm used to having it here. Or like you said, the bad lever or whatever, which gives you that little extra, um, you know, way to release uh, the bolt carrier group right there in the trigger guard or whatever. Um, I want to yeah. be able to use the same the same motions every single time, um, you know, and not worry about what hand I'm going to use it with. Yeah, like if you maybe you, you know, transition to offhand shooting or whatever, but you can train you know, that hand to, to have, um, to have that control in the same exact place every yeah. single time. So, um, especially for new people, maybe, you know, down the road, you so you're more experienced. I'm sure there, I mean, I, I know there's a, people a lot more experienced than me that, you know, maybe ambidextrous works for them for different use cases or whatever. But I think if you're brand new to, to, to shooting ARs, I don't, I don't think that having, I think, you think, having you think keeping it simple is the most. Right. Keeping it simple is important, and it, you're not going to to develop any kind of you know bad or weird habit, especially if somebody tosses you an AR to shoot you know for anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or I mean, even just something as simple as a competition. Let's say um, you're going to go to two gun or three gun or something or whatever, and your AR, I don't know, blows up or it's just you forgot or something like that. Something's catastrophic isn't working, but you still want to compete. And somebody says, "Here, you can use mine." Um, you know, and maybe you're used to an ambidextrous mag release or whatever, or an ambidextrous, uh, uh, bolt release or whatever. And, you know, you may lose a couple seconds cause of that. That could be true. That could be true. So, but I, I, uh, but I'm also, I switch all my, I switch all mine to ambido selectors. It's now, it's now, just nice. You're right. Don't get me wrong. It's convenient. It's very nice to have. Um, it's a it's a luxury. Well, you're bad mouth my ARs now. Is that not at doing? all? Because yours are probably cooler than mine. But um, no, they're all they're all cool. The thing is, yeah, it's just it's the simplicity thing. It's doing the same thing every single time. Um, but I'm not against it. Um, it's just I don't have many on mine because I don't want to get used to that like particular of I, my firearm. You know. I think that's sound logic. I, I, I would not disagree with that. So it, and it's also cause I'm weird. Cause you know, I'm a lefty. I mean, I shoot handguns yeah, left-handed, but I shoot long guns right-handed. Um, but I don't use 
I don't use an ambidextrous slide lock for a handgun. I don't use an ambidextrous mag release for a handgun either because nine times out of 10, if I had to pick up somebody else's firearm, it's going to be catered to a right-handed shooter. So I figure if I can manipulate the controls where they usually are with my left hand and, you know, compensating it a little bit, that's going to be faster than me having to, you know, know, let's say I get a, you know, a Gen 3 or Gen 2 or 4 Glock that doesn't have the ambidextrous slide release. And I go, you know, try to release the slide in a reload or something like that. And it doesn't work. And I'm wondering what the hell is going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just extra, extra, extra thoughts as a, as a OCD lefty, I guess you can call me. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, Now, do you have any like Gucci aftermarket triggers in any of your ARs? Um, no, actually I don't (laughs) really. I, uh, yeah, believe it or not. Like I do, like, I think Timney makes an awesome trigger. Sure. Um, there's uh elf makes a great trigger. There's that as a Trojan firearms out of Caldwell. They make a pretty nice trigger. Um, I just haven't gone that far actually. You know, I talking to Jeff, the gunsmith, He's like, you just bring me the trigger. I can, <laughs> I can, I can crisp it up. Um, but a trigger for me is something I would never try to do myself personally. Sure. Yeah. Other, you don't want to mess like, with the pieces. You can get a drop in, but yeah. And that's totally different, but like trying to change the geometry of a mil spec trigger. No, I won't do it. Yeah. And for me, I don't, I don't have any tricked out triggers either. And I think the reason is cause I just can't bring myself to spend the money because I know I'd have to go with like a Geisley or something like that, where it's just way nicer than what I need. Yeah. And, and they it, do feel fantastic. Um, I can't remember the name of the trigger. A friend of mine built an AR and he had a little trigger that had basically, it was completely vertical trigger face, but it had uh, like a sleeve that would just roll back or forth. Like, almost like a tube and the trigger face wasn't flat. It was just this thing that would roll. Like imagine a straw on the end, on the trigger that would yeah. just spin. And That's weird. the logic, the logic behind it was, is it, it, uh, reduces the chance of you like pushing the gun with your trigger as you, you know, as you depress the trigger that it would just kind of roll with the, whatever angle of uh, finger was on the, on the trigger, which is interesting. I don't know if it's like, if it works or not, it was a good crisp trigger. Other than that, it was just different. So there's a lot of different things you can do. Yeah. And that's one thing I'll say about um, the, the AR world. If you really get into it, you want to say that there's no innovation happening in the gun world, dive into the AR world and you're going to find uh, a replacement piece for every single like piece of your AR. That's going to at least claim to be better, faster, lighter, stronger, whatever. Yeah, and that's kind of the only place innovation can go right now. I mean, very incremental. Um, yeah, yeah. There's not some amazing new platform that's come out that cycles differently or or whatever. I mean, the the, the function of the firearm hasn't changed in forty years, fifty years since at least since Stoner came up with the yeah the platform that we use. Um, which, which honestly was used before, anyways. Like in reality, the the gas impingement's been around for a long, long time. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Um, but I mean, just the the whole modularity, I think, lends itself to having, you know, so much innovation in one piece or in every piece of the firearm, you know? Yeah, I would agree. 
Um, I'll tell you one thing that I'm actually very particular about um, when it comes to like the fire control group and all that kind of stuff um, and the um, or rather the controls or whatever is I do like I'm very particular on a grip. Yeah, because the standard A2 grip that will come in any kind of parts kit you get is garbage. Well, it's just standard. It's generic. Yeah. So like this, this AR I just pick up right now. This is one that I built on a two A lower and it's got a bootleg upper. Um, pretty fun little gun. Honestly, I haven't even shot this yet. It, it's my most recent build, but it, I bought one of those Bravo company uh, pistol. And I don't remember what model this is, but you're right. Getting rid of that a two grip is <laughs> it's like the first thing you do. Yeah, if you and then you sort of you don't even save them; you just throw them in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, if you wanna if you wanna make a, a relatively cheap modification, let's say you you, you just bought an AR, a basic AR fifteen, either a, 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 a Ruger or a, even a Colt or um, I'm sorry, a Smith and Wesson or a, um, even an FN or something like that. Get rid of sure. that. Uh, get rid of that A two grip. Um, and get something else like uh, I have a Magpul uh, MOE on mine. Uh, Bravo mm-hmm. companies are great. Um, they, you know, you can find any kind of grips. And what it does is it changes the angle, um, you know, in which you're gripping the firearm, um, which does make a whole lot of difference in comfort um, and, and just not and having it's those am- finger grooves, man. Yeah, and it's amazing what just a few degrees can do with this, as how it feels like. Uh, like I say, if you're doing a small gun, a short barrel rifle or a pistol, compressing that gun up to you, that that A2 angle just is super uncomfortable on how it feels. And so you, you just make that a little bit more vertical, and it's amazing how different it feels and, and how more comfortable it is to shoot. Yeah, and how much better your shooting can be in that regard. Well, because you're not fighting the gun at that point. And and uh, that's the most important part is is being comfortable behind the firearm because then you can be repeatable. Yeah, any way you can kind of make it more natural, more fit to your body and anything like that. And, um, you know, most grips, I mean, are usually between 20 and 30 bucks. I mean, it's not that expensive, at least compared no, to... No, it's, it's pretty cheap. Um, you know, so you can afford to experiment or whatever. But yeah, man, that A2 grip is garbage, at least at least in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like I say, you change it and you just throw that one in the garbage. You just don't... <laughs> You don't keep them around. <laughs> don't even mess with it. So, um, but moving, uh, I guess up, we could talk about optics. I, we don't have to dive totally deep into the optics world cause that could be a whole episode on its own, but, um, yeah, I'll we s- really, we, we really need to find somebody that's cause optics are not my strong suit. Like I'm not scared to say it. Um, but we need to find somebody and we'll have somebody on the show that we can really do a deep dive on, on optics because, you know, we can talk red dots, which we will, but once you get to magnified optics, it's, it's a whole nother animal with your rifles. Yeah. Especially with, you know, depending on what you're going to be doing with it. So um, yeah. And then not to mention like holographic sites, like Eatex or whatever, um, you know, you can't really go wrong with, you know, if you find a major brand red dot optic, you know, whether it's, you know, Vortex or uh, Aimpoint or um, E-Attack, I go a lot to be holographic, but, um, yeah. you know, or even like Rhydon or um, Holosun. I mean, everybody make their, or uh, what's Sig, I think uh, Sig Sauer, they're with their Romeo series. Yeah. So that, that gun I just referenced, that, that uh, bootleg upper. So I've got my EOTech on there. I've had that EOTech for a while. I don't mind it, but honestly, um, I, I really like my, my Vortex, my Spark AR, and it was a fraction of the cost. 
and it runs on a double A battery. Like, (laughs) and the battery doesn't die if I don't take it out. That's my complaint on some of those expensive ones. And I know they've changed. This is an older EOTech. If I don't take that battery out, it's going to die whether I have it on or off. Yeah, and that's one of the big things against uh, holographic sites is that they look really good, especially if, you know, you don't have astigmatism. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the other problem too. And you can focus, you know, you can focus on the target a lot better, target acquisition. But yeah, the just the the battery life as compared to a red dot is is and not nearly as good. It's a lot. And like I say, this is an older EOTech. The science has changed behind them. I mean, this EOTech is mm, twelve years old, maybe something like that. Is I've had it for a while. Yeah, but hey, it yeah, still works. It does work, and I don't have many complaints, and it works. It's compatible to night vision, which is also a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, but but my write-on stuff, like, I've never had any issues with my write-on stuff. Um, I, I've got a Burris on one of my other AR plus pistols. Like I said, i got a couple of Spark ARs on some, some rifles. And honestly, if you stick to anything other than what you might find on Amazon for really cheap – um, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, if you go the red dot route, you know, with, um, you know, something that you've heard of before. Um, I mean, even like, um, you know, buzz market primary arms a little bit or whatever there's, you know, granted they're made in China and, you know, take from that what you will or whatever. But I mean, I've seen comparisons on, on the internet where those are, you know, perform just as well as some of the other, uh, high end, you know, red dots or, or any kind of optics. You don't have to spend a ton of money um, to get a good optic. Um, one of the things that I really like um, optics wise, um, because I have astigmatism because I'm blind as a bat, um, even though it's a little bit heavier, is um, a low power variable optic. Um, I yeah, actually like, have a Vortex Strike Eagle uh, one by eight. And, and I love I love that Strike Eagle platform. I those are awesome. Yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. It's better than uh, than I ever could have hoped because not only do you have you know the capability to zoom in a little bit if you want to, um, you know, but you have an etched reticle in there that you don't necessarily need to light up, um, you know. But if you're out there during the day or at night or whatever, um, you know, you have you know the I think it's a CR one two three battery in there that lasts a good long while. Um, yeah, it's like it's like twelve thousand hours or something. Yeah, so it's just like continual hours, not just like oh I put this on eleven thousand hours ago, it's gonna die. Yeah, you can leave it on all the time, but you know having the option to have you know just a black reticle or a uh, an illuminated reticle is great. And the cool thing is, unlike a holographic reticle, it is crystal clear no matter what, at yeah. least for my eyes. It, no, you brought something up that Rob and I actually, old man Rob and I had a little bit of an argument about, which was was glass and and where it's made, um, particularly on on magnifying optics. Now, sure. to be fair, I'm going to be straightforward. I'm still pro staff with right on optics, and this <laughs> is where this whole this is where this whole argument started because um, he's like, "Well, I'm a loophole man by America, you know," and that which is fine. Loophole makes a great optic. Sure, um, out of Oregon or Washington, I think they're out of Oregon, and. Uh, so okay, great, but here's the next. He's like, well, that write-on stuff that's that's made in in China. So I just did a quick Google search, and um, not to bag on Leupold, but all their affordable stuff is made in China. Really, <laughs> and, and all their higher-end stuff, the glass is made in Japan. Almost 
all the new glass that we're getting, whether it be high-end Vortex, Rhydon stuff, uh, probably a lot of primary, a lot of stuff comes out of Japan now. Mm-hmm. And they make they make great glass. Like, that is not to discount the glass. They make fantastic glass. And that's they're doing it at an affordable price. That's why we're not going to, to German glass, right? Because sure. once, we, once we get to European glass, that's why, you know, you're paying a lot for Zeiss. And... Um, uh, yeah, I just forgot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, five, six thousand dollar optics, right? It, it, now, granted, they're amazingly clear. I mean, you're getting what you're paying for, but don't get stuck with, oh, I'm going to strictly buy American made because all their stuff gets imported, it's just assembled in the United States. Right on stuff's assembled in the United States, loophole stuff is assembled in the United States, Vortex is assembled in the United States, but their stuff comes from other countries, so. You're still supporting America when you're buying them. That's great. Just just be mindful of it, okay? Don't get stuck in this, oh, that stuff's crap because it comes from China. Well, almost everything we get anymore comes from China. Yeah, and, and you'll notice the difference in, in the price if you're going to get something that's American-made or um, sourced from outside of America or sourced from China for that matter. Um you know, but you can do your research. You can find out where your stuff comes from. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. Kind of be informed about, you know, what you know, what you're getting, where it's from. Um, and like I said, usually the price is going to be reflected in that, you know? Absolutely. And like I say, there's, there's a lot of great optics that are out there that are affordable. Now stuff I'm, I tend to lean away from is there's a lot of, you know, what we talked about Amazon, a lot of that stuff's built for airsoft. It's not going to handle recoil, especially honestly, when you get down to 22 caliber, the recoil impulse is different than larger rifles. It's just not going to last. So, Avoid wish.com or Amazon. <laughs> go to a brick and mortar store or go to a, a true online source that you trust and, and spend a little bit, excuse me, a little bit of money. Well, and uh, the other thing too is, you know, optics are very personal. It's it's very personal choice and you don't know until you look through it. Um, you know, you could, you could, you know, like for example, like I didn't even know I had an astigmatism until I started looking through um, holographic optics and I go, what the hell? These are all blurry or whatever. And like, no, these are, how does anybody blurry. use these things? <laughs> Why are these five, $600? And then I realized like, cause I'll get, even get a little bit of starburst with, with lower quality red dots or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. I have bad eyes. So I need to learn how to compensate for those bad eyes. Um, you know, and so you just, but you don't know that until you look through it, you know, um, I would feel bad for you if you spent 600 bucks on an EATEC and that's how you find out you have an astigmatism, you know, or, or even an aim point or something even more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting is I, I've been talking a little bit to an eye doctor here on this side of the state and, uh-huh. and he's a lot, he's a long range shooter. So I've been tempted to, you know, try and work with him a little bit more to how to resolve some of these things with good shooting glasses. And I know it's out there, but you know, maybe there's going to be another avenue somewhere. Sure. Um, well, and you mentioned uh, long range as well. Um, you know, that reminds me um, that we should probably get not only Sarah back on, uh, but Dennis as well. Talk about long I'd range and about optics. Dennis and Mike both, you know, where they teach together. Sure. And uh, they're both amazing. Those guys are awesome. Yeah, we get to, because we haven't done an episode on long range and we haven't, we could do one on optics with them too, I bet. Yeah, I think they'd be down. And they would be the perfect people to talk to because they they have a lot of life experience to go behind. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but moving along from optics, um, we could talk about uh, handguards. And I also wanted to throw in um, 
vertical grips and angled grips uh, as well. Um, what are your What do you got? What are you rocking on yours? So, because I've got a few of these out, um, if if we're staying the pistol length, because I, I haven't done the SBR thing, I found Magpul who, again. Uh, they have this uh, this little finger groove set thing that you could buy. And I only used one piece off of that and I didn't use the, uh, the rest of it. So I spent whatever it was, $40 on the little finger groove set for the air pistol setup. Oh, for like but a it's hand just stop. A, yeah. And, and that's exactly what I did with that one piece is my index finger goes against it. And that's, that's where I know my index points are. No pun um, intended. Yeah. That's uh, Yeah. But obviously with an AR pistol, we can't do a vertical foregrip. So again, we've talked about that in previous episodes. Right. Um, and I'll just go ahead and say that some people, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to say it incorrectly, but some people will say that it's, you know, if you have an overall length of over 26 inches, even with a short barrel, you can have a vertical foregrip on it. But my philosophy is on that, not even worth like tempting fate. Nope. I'm not going to dance on the, uh, on the, the line like that. It's not worth it to me. Like you said, that's your court case to decide. Yeah. And I promise you the government has a lot more money than you do. Yeah. And time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So on mine, so I have, I, I haven't said this yet um, uh, with my strike Eagle, I kind of have like a recce style rifle, um, which mm-hmm. is kind of, uh, kind of a, a general purpose, do all kind of style rifle. Um, you know, it's got, it's a, it's a full rifle with a 16 inch barrel and a stock and everything like that. Um, I actually have an old, the old style, uh, MOE mid-length handguard on it. Um, not even, not even M lock or anything like that. It's just an old, um, two piece drop in, not even free float handguard on it. Um, that just replaces the clamshell. Is that yeah? The one? Yeah. And then I put a, a vertical foregrip on it as kind of an index point. Um, and it actually sure. works really well. I kind of like it. Um, you know, it's, it's nice thick plastic. So, you know, like some rails and stuff that are really thin or skeleton nails get really hot. Um, yeah. you know, because if you don't know the handguard is there to protect your hands from getting burnt or, uh, singed from the heat of the barrel and the gas port, um, you know, expending all that hot gas. Right. So here's like another one of my rifles here. Look, can you see it? <laughs> yeah, it looks great. So this is kind of a, this is, I guess it'd be like a duty style length rifle. It's a 16 inch rifle that, um, I actually put an angle foregrip on it. And that's, you know, I like to do the whole vice grip thing over the handguard. Right. Um, you know, wrapping your thumb behind that front sight. That's how I like to shoot longer rifles. Um, not because I'm high speed, just because uh, it works best for me. And, uh, you know, it's on a black rain uh, foregrip. And you're right, that gets hot. That gets hot because you think about it, you got a thousand, two thousand degrees of, of consistent explosions going through a pipe, you know, an inch away from your hand. So you need to have something that's going to shield you from that. Sure. Like you're saying, those, those skeletonized rails, they look cool. Um, but if you plan on running that gun a lot, you're going to, you're going to regret it. Well, and, and metal's going to absorb that heat a lot more than plastic is. Um, you know, so if you have a plastic one, um, and the cool thing about that MOE one is it actually has, um, aluminum on the inside of it, which helps to kind of absorb and dissipate that heat. Um, and then it has plastic on the outside. So you're kind of insulated a little bit, um, on my pistol length, uh, AR, I actually have, um, it's pretty much all aero precision, which I'm actually a huge fan of. Um, 
Yeah, it's, I think Arrow makes good stuff. It's it's the price points right, the quality is right. Um, you know, it's not necessarily BCM uh, or uh, you know any high kind of higher end quality or yeah, price Daniel point, or but LWRC. It does, yeah, yeah, but it does the job. Um, and they make um, I can't remember what it's called, but they make um, yeah, they make their own rails and handguards and stuff. And I really like their um, Atlas. It's the Atlas rail. Um, which it doesn't have the rails on the top. Um, Mm -hmm. and it actually like helps you grip it a little bit more. You have kind of less, less surface area to grip so you can get more of a purchase on that front end. Um, and then I have a little finger stop that, uh, John Carnes actually gave me, um, an Arisaka, um, finger stop on the front that actually helps me index where I need to put my finger uh, in my and I hand. Like, I like those because they're small. They're low profile. Yeah, and it's all you need. You just need a place to kind of index to do the same thing every single yep. time. The only problem was I felt really bad because he gave he literally gave it to me and then I looked up how much they are and there was like, man, are you sure you like you don't want like some money for this? Because <laughs> Arisaka <laughs> makes good stuff, but it's, it's pricey. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that that's, thinner, that's the, that's the thing you have to do once in a while, spend a little money. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so, I mean, you can, you can pick what you want, um, you know, whether you have drop in or free float or whatever, obviously I think free float is a little bit better of an option. Um, mm-hmm. you know, ac- accuracy wise, uh, heat dissipation wise or whatever. Um, you know, but there's something to be said too, cause I have a, I have a third AR that's very, uh, much like, uh, Colt, uh, 733 kind of style. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, it's a pistol, but it's got a, uh, an 11 and a half or 10 and a half inch barrel. Um, and it's got the carry handle and the old clamshell style, uh, hand guards. And it's pretty cool, man. It's like being in the movie heat. <laughs> nice. So I'm, I'm, and, and I'll, I'll say it's a, it's a PSA style one. and I'm cool with that. <laughs> you know, a lot of people rag on PSA and, and it's not something I'm going to take to, uh, to war by any sure. means, but for screwing around and and just having a good time enjoying my my rights i don't mind spending the money on them yeah i mean i got the upper i got it was an anderson lower so it was like 50 bucks the parts kit was like 50 bucks um and then the upper came with uh everything completed for like three 320 can't worry about that no and I, I don't think you can find it for that anymore either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was like a year and a half or two years ago, but yeah, you, you get the, you get the picture and it's just, a, it's a fun, cool. That's the other thing is like, you know, you watch the movie heat or like Max Payne was a game I played as a kid or whatever. And I was like, man, those are cool. Like I want one of those one of these days. And I, now I have it, you know, it's kind of a safe queen <laughs> a little bit, but, or just a fun gun, but nothing crazy. Well, and there's nothing wrong with stacking your, your safe with ARs anyways. Right. They're not going to go bad. No, they preserve well. Um, but anyway, uh, moving ahead uh, to a little bit more forward, um, talking about lights. Do you have a light? Yeah. What kind of lights do you have, if any? So I do. And honestly, there's they're really not anything special. Uh, so on this one, I actually have a TLR-1. Okay. Um, which, which is fine. It's more of a handgun. Actually, both of mine with the lights on them, they're just the TLRs and they're fine. I, uh, would I like something maybe with a presser switch or something? Yeah, I think so. But practicality is all I'm down to, you know, it's, it's in the safe. I might as well be using it. Sure. Um, that's, that's not true. Actually, one of my other ERs has a a Phoenix on it, which is like, I think it's 700 lumens or something. Um, and it does have a, 
it, but it has the thumb switch. It doesn't have a pressure switch on it. I'll tell you what, man, uh, going from a thumb switch to a pressure switch changed the game for me. So, um, when I, when I built this arrow pistol build, um, I was like, you know what I want, I want a, a pressure switch and I want something that, you know, sits kind of off center a little bit, kind of out of the way, um, this, that, and the other. And, um, so I went with a Streamlight ProTac, which, I mean, if I had the money for a Surefire, yeah, you'd bet I would, I would buy one, but the ProTac is about half the price. Um, you know what? I, I think, uh, I think Surefires are cool. They make some cool stuff. Uh, but stream Streamlight is uh, honestly, I can't really tell a lot of the difference sometimes. Uh, other than the price point. And I know there's somebody out there, some gadget geeks like, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're so much better. And they might be, I, I have a surefire and it sits in the backpack and I never use it. Really? My Streamlight, I have all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, so for whatever that's worth, and maybe it's because $70 compared to a couple hundred bucks, you know, I guess. Yeah, I think my ProTac was 110 with the pressure switch and everything like that. And, um, I did have to buy an R, uh, an Arasaka M-Lock mount to make sure that it mounted to the, um, the, uh, Atlas rails, um, yeah. which was not cheap, but I know it's never going to fall apart on me. Um, but the pressure switch is super cool because not only can you index with, um, you know, with that, with that finger stop or that hand stop or whatever, but then you can also index with your pressure switch too. Um, you know, the only thing is I see a lot of people rocking the pressure switch on the very top and I can't do that because I don't have those, um, those rail attachments on the top, like most other, you know, hand guards do. So I put it on the side, right. um, and having my thumb there actually, um, is actually kind of nice because I can use like the tip of my thumb to just have a, you know, pressure on, let go off, or I can use the, like my first knuckle for a click button. And then it's, you know, constant on constant off. Right. So, um, but then again, that's, that's just what works for me. I think that's what made, makes sense to me after, you know, spending a couple hours messing around with it. Um, and I, the other thing too, I'll have to say is that I did have to jerry rig, um, the, the pressure switch mounting because normally there's like a, um, you know, rail attachments that'll make the, the pressure switch sit into it. Um, and right. there's no M lock, um, screws, you know, that you can just screw into, you know, screw the pressure switch into the M locks on the other side. Um, so I had to actually hog the, uh, the holes out and buy after, uh, aftermarket Magpul M lock screws to attach it to the rail. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Oh, at least it better not. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes, and that's the other thing with, with lights is you have to figure out your wiring situation, obviously, especially if your lights on one side uh, and your, your pressure switches on the other side. Um, but that speaks to your, you know, having a, just a thumb actuated where you don't have to worry about wires at all. Yeah. And, and light placement could be a whole nother philosophy on itself. Um, and, and just do your own research. If you do have a light on there and you're not sure where to put it, um, do do some homework because there's some there's some philosophy out there of why you don't put it on one side versus the other or top or bottom. So it's it's a long conversation. We don't have to get into it, but but there's some interesting philosophy out there of, of light placement itself. Yeah, and I think there's I think a lot of it comes down to personal preference as well. You know. Yeah. So I think you're right. Um, but yeah, the other thing too, and I wanted to bring this up, um, is that. 
The other thing to consider is that if you put, you know, you don't want to put too much stuff. We've talked about kind of all the stuff we have or whatever. Um, but I mean, you, you see people that have, you know, lights and bipods and, uh, you know, foregrips and X, Y, Z and this, that, and the other, whatever you have to, one of the things you have to worry about is weight because like, I actually really like a lighter AR. I like being able to to yeah. hold it in one hand um you know but i also understand that you know the heavier the ar you have the the more it'll recoil you know the middle gate mitigate the recoil but um you really have to find that balance between um you know weight lightness and and having exactly what you need on there you know yeah and just because it has an auxiliary rail doesn't you mean you have to fill the space on the side of the gun yeah exactly so, just something to keep yeah, in I, mind from- for me, I, I try to keep them as minimal as possible with this, with the stuff on there. I, well, and it kind of depends on the purpose, right? So I have a, an, an AR that's set up for a little bit more distance. And so sure, I'll put a bipod on there, but I'm not going to put my flashlight on there. That would be pointless. Right. You really uh, have to think about what your use case is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and build for a reason. Like we've already, we both had, sounds like anyways, we have some shorter guns for, maybe in home defense. And so, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to put a light on there because I got to see what I'm shooting at. Um, And, you know, maybe I have other things on there too, but it it just, you got to, if you're going to build one, build it for the purpose that of what you're going to use it for, not just because, Oh, this would look cool. Right. Cause then it's going to be heavy. You're not going to want to shoot it and then you're just never going to use it. Yeah. You want the least amount of stuff on there as necessary. Exactly. Right, just, just put the essentials and that's it. Um, so uh, moving forward, though, I think that really basically just leaves us to uh, the muzzle device. Hmm. And there are plenty out there. You say that's a whole nother episode on its own as well. Yeah. And, and so I guess we could say this. There's a difference between, uh, um, oh, my gosh, a flash hider uh, or a compensator. Right. They're, they're two very different things. And, and the name should give it away exactly what they do. So a flash hider, a flash suppressor, I guess you could say it too. Like, for example, if you look at the standard A2 birdcage, um, what that, those little vents on the end of there are designed to push gases out in those directions and, and dissipate that flash. If you've ever seen an AR without anything on the end of it, like it can be really bright and it can bark a lot. Sure. Um, the, the idea of this obviously was in, in wartime, I guess, uh, is to, well, two, honestly. So not to give away or put a signature of where you're at and to keep your eyes in, in nighttime shooting, keep your eyes from getting blinded from flashes and, and reducing your efficacy. Yeah. Uh, where, where a compensator uh, does just that, like it pushes gases in a specific direction to mitigate recoil. Uh, right, so instead of... Um, you know, maybe you're, you know, shooting multiple rounds, you know, in quick succession, um, you might see that muzzle start to climb after the second, third, fourth, fifth shot or whatever, um, with a compensator, that's actually going to shoot, um, the gases forward and push the gun straight back into you. So then you don't have much muzzle rise. But, um, the problem with that is you might be shooting a fireball depending on how long your or short (laughs) your, uh, your barrel is. And, uh, you might also makes, uh, not make any friends at the range depending Absolutely. Yeah. Once you start rolling with compensators and it doesn't matter what the platform handgun, you know, 
long range, whatever hunting rifle, that noise is going to elevate at, at the point of the, of the shooter. That's could be really unbearable. Yeah. It can be very loud. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a dragon on, on my longer range (laughs) rifle and that is one of my most favorite breaks of all time. Uh, compensators, I guess that it, it is so ridiculously loud though. Um, Actually, it's a lot of fun to have in the range just because I'm obnoxious and it's firing. So I don't, I don't really care, but it is incredibly <laughs> loud and it does put out a, a pretty fair, you know, flash at the end, but I can dump a whole bunch in one spot. Yeah. It's fun. And there are also some, you know, some breaks. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I've had my eye on uh, VG six precision for a long, long time. Cause I just have a two bird cages on mine. It's kind of like triggers where it's like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to spend the money. Like I, I can't bring myself to spend a hundred, two hundred $200 on a little mm-hmm. piece of metal. That's going to maybe make a marginal difference in the use case that I have for my ARs. But if I right. were to build like a three gun or a two gun, like competition style AR, then I would consider getting every oh, uh, ad, ad, advantage that I could, but absolutely. Um, some, um, and I, and I might be wrong. I'm on the website now to make sure, but um, VG6 and, and other companies make kind of combination ones um, where it's not necessarily a flash hider. It's not necessarily a compensator, but it's kind of the best of both worlds. So you're not necessarily loud as hell, but um, you're not getting the muzzle climb that you would with kind of a normal, um, you know, flash hider or something like that. So you get kind of the best of both worlds. Um, right you know, and, and can help, you know, and if you can stay on target, you know, after five, six, seven rounds without any muzzle climb, that's going to help you a lot in competition or um, anything like that. But then again, you look at muzzle devices, like I said, it can be a whole, a whole episode on its own and you can also spend a lot of money. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you yeah, they, get re- that. they get ridiculously expensive and, and here's kind of a, a funny, maybe it's a little more anecdotal than not, but uh, the bird cage. Mm-hmm. So I think it was the firearms blog. Actually, they did, they did a uh, a story on well, oh. which ones, which ones the best one. Right? Was it the as great as- like muzzle device off thing? Yeah, yeah. They tested like and hundreds so they of them. spent a lot of money. They did a whole, and the standard bird cage was the most effective. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and they're the cheapest. I just thought it was funny. So, you know, maybe all that military research and and studies, maybe they actually did something good for once. Yeah, they came up with something. So, I mean, and mainly mine, it's not because I think it's the best, even though it might be, but it's usually what comes with a barrel or they're five bucks on Brownells or whatever, or a Midway or wherever. And some people even just have them laying around and you know what? Good enough for me. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I don't mind them like, you know, uh, Gemtech used to make a great suppressor that, that bolts right on there, the halo. And I don't know, they're effective. They're fine. They're not as cool or as glamorous. I know, but if I, if I come across a little bit extra money to buy a different muzzle vice, then I do it just cause I want to dress it up, you know, but it's, right. it's not, it's, it's not an end all be all. Like I, I don't mind having them on the end of my guns. Kind of the crown on the end of your, you know, on the end of your, uh, AR. Right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that kind of pretty much covers it. The only thing I think we met, uh, missed is uh, iron sights. Um, but I guess that kind of goes without saying is that, um, at least for me, you should always have backup iron sights on every 
on every rifle. Absolutely. Uh, I know like I helped a buddy build a rifle and he's like, well, I got the scope. I'm not going to put these sights on there. I was like, just put the sights on there. They fold down. They're out of the way. You'll never be able to use them with a scope on, but what if your scope breaks? Yep. If you're in the middle of something hunting or whatever, and, and something fails, you, you need, you need, you need an option. And so that's, I finally convinced them to put it on there. Well, and they're not that expensive. I mean, you can, you can get some super expensive ones or whatever, but um, sure. you know, just a basic set of Magpul, you know, polymer backup sites that fold down or um, whatever they, yeah. they work pretty good. Yeah, you're you're going to be about a hundred bucks basically with the front and rear set. Um, there are some cheaper options. Um, you know, UTG, honestly, and a lot of people bag on them, but I have a set of their metal flip down sites. Really? And, and they're really not that bad. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's the same sites that are going on the Saint rifles. Now the, the Springfield Saint rifles. Well, and if they're metal, so, I mean, that's gotta, yeah, that, that's why I tried them because they're metal folding sites. And honestly, they've, they've stayed true. Um, they were really affordable. I think it was 50 bucks for the set, something like Impressive, that, man. And, uh, and, and they still work. Yeah. And, and that's, that's ARs. <laughs> <laughs> Those are our ARs. Now don't get excited. I'm not going to post pictures of these on Facebook. Sorry, Cause they guys. don't exist. No, I just lost them actually in a boating accident. Yeah, they just disappeared. So, um, but yeah, they're ghost. They're ghost guns. They hopefully, just vanished. Hopefully, kind of shed some light on on what you know the choices that we've made. You know, you you do have to make a, a balance if you're a normal human between cost and quality and weight and um, yeah. your use case and everything. And um, you know, part of it, honestly for me buying and building an AR, part of the fun is doing all the research and and making figuring out what the best decision is for your use case, you know? Yeah. And it is really easy to fall into a trap. Like I know when I got my first AR, like it's this, this rabbit hole of, of gadgets and, and parts and pieces. It's kind of like having a Jeep or a motorcycle, right? You start thinking of, Oh, I could upgrade. Uh, you don't have, or a clock. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to have all that cool stuff on the gun. Um, you know, we talked about keeping things simple, right? And, and especially with your first gun, don't, don't go crazy because you know, your buddy's got this gun and he's telling you that you got to buy these specific parts. You don't have to, uh, and, and just get something you can afford and then upgrade as you go there. At least with the AR 15 platform, everything is compatible. So yep. you can always upgrade parts later. Yeah. Or, or maybe, you know, I, I thought about this too, the other day, earlier today, prepping for this episode was that maybe you're an AK guy, you know, and maybe yeah. you want to get into AKs. You don't have to necessarily stick to ARs. You can, you can upgrade AKs with different triggers and different, oh, um, yeah. you know, optics and hand guards, and you can make it as tactical or as, um, you know, original old school as you want. I, I was thinking we need to get Cody back on the podcast cause he's our, our local AK guy. Yeah. Yeah. He knows a little bit more about the AK platform than I do for sure. Yeah. I, I owned one for a little while and I sold it and I kind of wish I didn't. Yeah. Or, I mean, if you want to be really fancy and spend a lot of money, you could get a, a, a Tavor or, um, you know, or, uh, an HK 416, which I guess is an AR anyway, but if you've yeah, got that kind of money. They're a little, they're a little different though. They Honestly, are a little they, different, but how they operate, it's a little different uh, or a, a scar or Galil. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Yeah, I mean, I would I would take all of them to be honest. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so, 
but yeah, hopefully, hopefully that kind of helped you out a little bit, especially if you're new to ARs or whatever, maybe you bought, um, you know, you were lucky enough to get your hands on one during this weird time. And, um, you're thinking about what to do with it. I would say just, if you can find it buy ammo and, and training and, um, then figure out where you need to go from there. Um, you know, or just go buy a grip. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that'll really change the game. And even if you can't find the ammo and you've got money to spend, take a class, take some kind of a defensive carbine class or something. They are a ton of fun. You know, John, I I know he teaches some of our classes there and they're they're worth it. Um, At least get get to know the platform because there's a lot more cool stuff you can do once you know how to use it. Well, and being able to even just to take it apart and know to, you know, and, and learn the different pieces and how they all function together. Um, that helps you understand the function of the gun and how to use the gun a lot more as well. Um, once you understand how the gun cycles and how it works. So, um, there's a lot of fun to be, to be had and just in learning how it works and, and learning to shoot it well. Yep. I agree. So, but if you think we missed anything or maybe you have your favorite upgrade, let us know podcast at iishooting.com or uh, find us on Facebook at range minded podcast. Same thing on Instagram as well. Uh, if you're brave enough, maybe share your, uh, your AR, uh, in a photo with us and, uh, we'll roast it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Just cover up those serial numbers. Yeah. We there you about go. That before too. Yeah. You never know. Google can, Google can pick up numbers pretty easily. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy. So, but thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Hey guys, be safe. Take somebody shooting. Yes. See ya. Thanks for listening to range minded. Find us online at range minded podcast on Facebook or send us an email at podcast at iishooting.com. We're always happy to get feedback, episode suggestions, whatever you want to send us, really. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and pretty much wherever else you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.